He's going to hide a thief, a poisoner, a mummer, and a murderer amongst the Lannisters in an elaborate setup for a sitcom. Game of punchlines. Game of groans. What's his sister doing? Like, what on earth is going through her head? Is this normal in the Iron Islands? She sort of goes down to the tavern at the end of the day and she's like, and then I grabbed him by the knob. And everybody goes, oh, that's some quality physical comedy and no mistake. Instead of going, you grabbed your brother by the penis. Of course something's going to go wrong. This is a George R. R. Martin novel. Hello and welcome to part four of Shark Liver Oil's coverage of... Game of Thrones book two, which is a clash of kings. This part is called Garden of Bones, and we're going to be covering the bit of the book that goes from page 352, which is a chapter about Theon, which begins, she was undeniably a beauty, and goes as far as page 451, which is a chapter about Caitlin, which begins, it was full dark before they came upon the village. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And are you ready, Dave, to discuss the part which we have christened Garden of Bones? Garden of Bones. <laughs> I've been working on that all week. <laughs> I wonder if any of the bones belong to the lamb men of the Lazarine. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's every chance of that, yes. <laughs> if, if there's been a massacre, the lamb men have probably been involved. Somewhere. Yeah. Oh, they're just poor bastards. So this, first, so this first chapter for this part today is one about, as we said, Theon. He meets um, a ship shipbuilder's wife on the island called Esgrid. And it, it all gets a bit open all hours. There's so much innuendo <laughs> flashing around. <laughs> what did you make of this bit? Uh, I thought it surpassed even open all hours and it went, it went as far as are you being served. It was just... <laughs> it, is, it was like... I, I was just expecting somebody to kind of go, I'm free! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was. I suppose it's, it's supposed to be sort of just the crude way that the sort of Iron Islanders like to flirt, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not the height of romance, is it? It's, yeah. it's very much at the same level as a sort of, you know, hello, darling, show us your tits sort of approach Um, although it has to be said actually interestingly like it would seem to be an interaction in which women have a good deal more power than than simply being lecched upon Um, yeah that's true well because the outcome of this is is, um, uh, it's an outcome yeah Um, so they make their way up to the castle Esgrid and I'll say that in sort of quote marks <laughs> with <laughs> with Theon. Theon's got um, the, uh, Theon's got this horse which is bought from someone on the island. Um, it called, it's called it Smiler, and it's quite wild. But it's an absolutely massive sort of mighty horse, mm-hmm. and it makes him stand out because most people on the Iron Islands can't ride very well. So um, it's one of two things. I think he thinks it shows him to be powerful and different mm. um, but at the same time that could possibly be a drawback because different as we've seen already on the island isn't necessarily a good thing yeah there, there's a particularly spiteful turn of mind to the Iron Islanders isn't there and we we just we saw a little bit of that last time 
you know, mm. in between Theon's father not coming to greet him and Theon's uncle being just the most joyless bastard in a book <laughs> containing Stannis Baratheon. To be more joyless is quite an achievement, but he cleared that bar and then some. Um, yeah. And then we just see slightly more of it here where there's just like... It's just it's and it's just an entire culture full of people who think that like anything other than being a twat is impardonable weakness. <laughs> yeah, um, you see, Theon is uh, since I mean the, the last chapter ended with Balon Greyjoy, Theon's dad, pretty much suggesting that instead of helping Rob out, um, which is what Theon had sort of proposed. They were going to do something else, and we were very worried about what that something else was going to be. Theon seems to be telling himself here he's just going to bide his time and wait to see exactly what these plans are, and then decide what to do. Mm. And we'll see where, where that goes. Yeah. There's, a, there's a there's a raunchy ride to the castle. Then I think raunchy is the word for it. Right, uh, actually, and that's true. There are not many circumstances in which the word raunchy is anything other than a bit of pathetic marketing speak, but this is actually, <laughs> this is exactly what it is. If you want a, a definition of the word raunchy, it's, well, well, it's this, because, well, no, you do it, you, you do the reveal. <laughs> well, I, I just think it's, uh, I call it raunchy, I just think it's sort of both, I, when I think raunchy, I think both crude and old-fashioned, and that's that's very <laughs> much the, <laughs> the impression I get from this sort of, I don't know, this encounter between these two characters. Yeah. Um, the, during the during the journey, I suppose the the, the interesting thing for me was how um, Theon sort of considers the different um, positions that his uncles are in, and how um, I mean, Esgrid, while she's teasing Theon, is saying, you know. In the past, uh, it's not been un- unheard of for a strong uncle to sort of take over um, the claim of a of a weaker son, if you like, um, and a weaker nephew. Mm. And uh, Theon's a little bit worried about this, and he thinks this guy called Victarion, who's one of the who's one of his uncles, who's this massive hulking brute, um, he thinks that he isn't clever enough to to, to to knock him off the top. And then you've got Aaron, who's the one we've met, who's the priest, and he thinks, well, he's not going to do anything. And then there's this other one who's called Euron, and he does seem like a danger, but he's mm. not been seen for years, so Theon's hoping he's not going to be seen ever again. Mm. Okay, we get to the castle. Dave, let's do the big reveal. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Uh, <laughs> it's, and he's got nobody to blame for himself, has he, really? No. Because because this this woman who he thinks is the pregnant wife of one of the people that he's trying to become the king of, yeah, um, and who he has been like mercilessly hitting on, and who, in fairness, has been grabbing his cock right back, yeah, right. It's his sister. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, it's so horrible. <laughs> I've just got this um, <laughs> idea of, as you're saying that, like that song, Freak Me's coming on. <laughs> and then it just cuts out, as you say, it's your sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is, I mean, yeah, there you go. I mean, 
George uh, Martin, he, he does enjoy these. It, it'll, it happens quite a few times through the next few books. Um, characters hiding as other characters and a big reveal at the end. Um, <laughs> and it's actually, it's I actually very... Sorry. <laughs> Go on. I thought you were going to say something different there. I thought you were going to say, George R.R. R. Martin, he loves a bit of incest, doesn't he? Well, that's, a case could be made for that. Cause it, <laughs> it's happened a few times in this first two books already. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, he, he, he does do this thing where characters hide as other characters quite a lot. Mm. And normally the series doesn't go anywhere near it because it's very hard to... Because mm. you just recognise who the actor is. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they do it this time because we haven't met... Um, this character yet but yeah I, I think so, sometimes these big reveals are, are, are quite good and, and, and quite an interesting twist and sometimes if you can kind of see them coming they can be a bit tiresome yeah or even if even if not but we can discuss that as, as we go through the books yeah that's true this one I thought was um it must have been great it certainly was fairly disgusting when I saw it on screen but because I'd already watched this episode um mm. I was all the way through this. I was like, I was having to force myself to read it word by individual word because it's ah, oh, oh, I've already experienced this once. I don't want to have to go through it again. <laughs> I must watch it and then read it. <laughs> but um, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, I thought like, I mean, it, it actually serves to continue the project that I think George Martin started last time, which is making Theon go from a sort of you know not mal- not bad character just a sort of background mm. bit of a knob end to being mm. like just just a totally objectionable hateful character so we've already had the way he's treated the the captain's daughter on that boat um, yeah. just for the sheer joy of shagging her um or even i, I mean that's it's not even the sheer joy of it it's the, the sheer boredom of being on ship yeah. and he acts in this horrible way and then and you get this thing again where he thinks this woman's pregnant by another man and and tries to exercise a bit of droit de seigneur um i tell you what i think that the uh, the 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 thing is here though is that all right so i get it Dion's a twat what's his sister doing i mean that's that's some that's some fucked up banter is what that is <laughs> like what on earth is going through her head is this normal in the iron islands is this the sort of thing where she sort of goes down to the tavern at the end of the day and she's like and then i grabbed him by the knob and everybody goes oh that's some quality physical comedy and no mistake instead of going you grabbed your brother by the penis the fuck's the matter with you <laughs> This is true. <laughs> so Theon's getting, after being embarrassed, he's getting ready for this big uh, meal with his father and uh, his father's sort of allies. And he's deciding what to wear. And do you remember last time he he dressed in all this finery and um, he had it all taken off him because he hadn't paid the iron price for it. Yeah. Um, he'd paid the gold price, which is to say he bought it with gold rather than killing the person who owned it and taking it. What a pussy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and this this time he's, a, he's he's getting ready, and he's, he has to wear some pretty dour, fairly rubbish clothes because he's not got anything better. Mm. Um, and he bemoans his bad luck because he's only killed poor people, and it just that yeah. is quite. I think the thing with Theon to me, rather than, uh, I don't think he's a pati- necessarily a completely hateful character, but he's a classic sort of teenager wrapped up in himself completely. 
and That's everything's true. about him. You yeah. can see it through the way he treats women, and you can see it through here as well. And even so far as he, his mission to to get to get his father to. To, to join up with Rob he's all along the way until his dad turns him down he hasn't even considered the very idea that his dad might say no yeah um, because it's everything is just around him isn't it yeah and this is just another example of that he's just thinking oh what terrible look it is that I, I've only killed a lot of poor people yeah oh boo hoo poor yeah. you although um, the other thing that occurred to me actually about this uh, this iron price thing is that if you think about it for two seconds, no wonder they're just on this shit piece of land on the cold coast of an inhospitable continent, right? If the only honourable way to own something is to kill somebody else who owns something, so that means that there can only be like six valuable things in the entire culture, <laughs> and just everybody's killing each other for them because if you buy it with gold, then it's not worth anything. Yeah. So, like, how the fuck's that even work? Imagine buying a house. <laughs> I mean, dealing with an estate agent these days is bad enough, but imagine it being <laughs> like he shows you around, and then at the end of it, he says, "Would you like to make an offer?" And you go, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I reckon we will actually." And he goes, "Okay, bring him out," and they drag out the current owner, trussed up, hands you a sword, and says, "Now you pay the iron price." <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> It certainly make a negotiation for a house particularly interesting. It would, wouldn't it? I, I just a, it, would, would that be the trusting up the the owner? Is that the government's help to buy scheme? In action, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's compassionate conservatism, Matt. <laughs> that's that's the people who sort of are too weak to uh, to, to buy uh, to, to pay the iron price off their own bat. They get someone trust up for them. <laughs> oh dear okay oh yeah Mo- moving on from satire yeah we're introduced to one of the other great sort of seats in westeros there are some really good seats one of them is the iron throne and one of them is um is this one the sea stone chair which is um if legend is to be believed it was this chair that was pretty much made by the sea, if you like, you know, just smashing against rocks. Mm. And when the first Iron Islanders arrived here, it was already there, just sort of sitting, waiting for someone to to seat themselves on it. Yeah. And it's been the, the it's been obviously the the seat of the of the Lord of the Iron Islands or the King, whichever he's managed to be um, yeah. for for years and centuries now. Um, and obviously, Ballon Greyjoy's sitting on it at the moment. Wouldn't you love um, it if that was a seat? If that had happened, but then the seat was in a really stupid position, like <laughs> on the edge of a cliff or <laughs> facing facing into an enormous boulder. So you're trying to rule the place by just <laughs> just looking <laughs> at the boulder. Yes. <laughs> and I say to you, it was carved by the sea. All right, it makes a good story, <laughs> even if the particular positioning of it is a bit shit. Yeah. What do you mean you can't idea. hear me? Of course, I'm yelling at a rock. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Asher manages to embarrass uh, Theon once again. Um, this is Asher, he, Asher, the brother lover. Yeah, when when he inquires about whether she was actually married, and she says she is, and then she gets one of the other one of her one of her soldiers to effectively throw an axe at her head, and she catches it and says, "This is what I'm married to." Um, which is, I mean, it's kind of cool. It That's shows how. Yeah, it shows how impressive a, a fighter, I suppose, uh, Asher probably is. Yeah. Um, and, and also, once again, it, it it helps to demean Theon in front of everybody, which, for the guy who wants to become the king of this vicious people, doesn't <laughs> particularly look good. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It does seem to me that somebody's handed out a memo the day before Theon arrived saying, 
Uh, a young man will be turning up. Now, in the normal order of things, obviously, you'd be respectful to him, but diss him as much as possible. <laughs> By order <laughs> yeah. of the king. Yeah, make him feel completely inferior and embarrass him in front of as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been it's been the opposite of the warm welcome he was expecting, hasn't it? It certainly has. Although one has to say that if this is what the people of the Iron Islands are like, if he was expecting a warm welcome, do we have to ask questions about his memory? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can't have been a terribly nurturing first nine years of his life before he was taken off to Winterfell, can it? No, I suppose not. Um, I mean, he just say a couple of times he can hardly remember the last time he was here so I suppose yeah. that that is, isn't surprising considering the, the, the shock he's had on, on his return yeah um, he is uh, the, the big the big plan is revealed to him later his father goes up to his sort of private chambers and takes his, his closest associates with him and Theon's one of them Theon gets given eight ships and is told to harry the stony shore basically sail up and down um, the coast of the north parts of the kingdom um, burning fishing villages um, Viking style and uh, he's um, he's not very happy with that, he feels it's, it's fairly dishonourable work, he was hoping for something a bit more important Yeah. and and um, in the meantime his sister is given the command of attacking Deepwood Mott which is the Glover's place Oh, the, and, they're uh, your peeps aren't they? No, mine were the um, Tall Hearts Oh, sorry, sorry yeah. Carry on. I'm not even sure where their their place is. Call yourself um, a fan, a glory supporter, might, Matthew. That's what it you might are. be. It might be Torrens Square, I think. If that's right, then <laughs> I'm loving it. I, I'm on. I'm going to check. Shall I check? Yeah, check. Is it Torrens? Let's have a look. Tall heart. Do we do we do a wiki of ice and fire? <laughs> Dave, don't go near this. Ugh. I'm really looking forward to being able to read this. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Tall Heart. I think there's a, there's a band called Tall Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen, brilliantly, there's a Welsh hardcore band called Fist of the First Man. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Can't do better than a hardcore band with a name that's a Game of Thrones reference and a masturbation joke. Get in. <laughs> uh, let's have a look. Oh yes, it is, um, it is Torren Square. The Tall Hearts seat. Their the words are proud and free. Very nice, aren't they? They're a very nice group, then. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, Deepwood Mop, which is the Glover's, the Glover's pad. And um, a- um, Ash has been given commands to attack that. Uh, and Victorian, uh, the big bull-headed uncle, is, um, he's been sent off to Moat Kaelin uh, to take that. Do you remember Moat Kaelin's the one in the middle of the marsh? Oh, nobody yeah. wants to garrison. So that's the key to getting south or getting north. So if the Iron Islanders can take that, then they effectively cut the north off from yeah. from Rob and from the south. Yeah. So this is this is obviously the plan is to effectively take the north now yeah. while Rob's taken all the men south. Yeah. And Theon Theon seems pretty happy with that. He doesn't seem particularly <laughs> You know, it's a bit of a change, isn't it? Yeah. It was after an alliance, and now he's like, eh, he's like you know, okay. I, actually, I reckon um, I'm in. Can I do, <laughs> yeah, uh, can I not do something more important in this massive treason against my... Uh, my <laughs> against my sworn <laughs> sort of king. Sort of thought was my brother, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. And, well, and it's it's just... 
it's interesting, isn't it, how a, a character's self-importance can be used to completely turn their allegiance without them really even mm. thinking about it. Because they're, it seems clear that to Theon, his allegiance is like sort of a bit of an external thing. It's like something, something that he said that he doesn't really have to mean. His real allegiance is to his own sense of pride, and he'll do mm. whatever it takes to appease that sense of pride. And what he wants to do right now is get, um, is get his father's respect. And the way he's going to do that is by behaving in an utterly monstrous fashion towards a lot of defenceless women and children on the coast. Yeah. Now, um, just the, the only other thing I wanted to say about this is uh, the Asher character in the series isn't actually called Asher. She's called Yara instead. And oh, they, right. they, ch- they changed the name because they were worried that people would get confused between Asher and Aya. Um, oh, I see. So just in case you're wondering, in case you've seen the series and think, hang on a minute, isn't she called something else? I think that's why. Anyway, yeah. Uh, let's let's go back south. Let's go to Tyrion. Yeah. And his encounter with Lancel Lannister, who's the arrogant sixteen-year-old, um, who is he's been he's been risen up to a, a knighthood already. Mm. He's the son. Lancel's the son of. Um, Kevin Lannister, who's you know Tywin's sort of second right hand man, he's yeah. like Tywin's younger brother. I still find that hard to um, get my head around though. Like Kevin, you know, doesn't yeah. he doesn't sound like a knight's name to me? Like Todd <laughs> the knight, yeah. it just doesn't work. Yeah, I suppose you've got Lancel, Tywin, Tyrion, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with Kevin but, as a name. Uh, it just doesn't feel very medieval to me. Yeah, it seems like he should be working at, like, in a garage in Manchester. <laughs> Like Kevin Webster. Kevin Webster. Kevin Lannister. <laughs> Love it. Um, Carry on. So, uh, La- <laughs> oh yeah, um, he meets. So he meets Lancel anyway, and it's just worth just mentioning him because we'll come back to him later on. Mm. Um, it turns out Stannis. Um, Tyrion's found out that Stannis has attacked Storm's End um, because of this old grudge that he holds towards his brother. Um, Always the best way to make uh, to make tactical decisions in wartime, isn't it? Who am I going to attack first? Yeah. My little brother, because you don't like him. <laughs> Idiot. <Yeah. laughs> um, Tyrion goes to have a chat with Cersei about it, and in the meantime, he poisons her uh, <laughs> with... It, it appears he slips laxative into her wine. Which <laughs> 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 <It> is amazing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, and and there's a bit of you, isn't there, that just leaps for joy inside. Yes, have that. <laughs> I think last time I saw this happen, it was Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So this is Dumb and Dumber in Elizabethan clothing. <laughs> oh yeah, so that so he make basically makes sure. Cersei is indisposed for the next few days because he's got some important power play stuff to get to get it done. <laughs> so, uh, so Tyrion goes in and does that. Um, it just, to be honest, it shows how easy it would be to if he wanted to offer how easy he'd be able to do it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's awful, upset. isn't it? But there's a bit in my head when he was doing that was like, oh, just put a few. What is it? The tears of Lys or whatever. Yeah. Put a bit of that in there. Just get rid of her. But that's not going to happen. He spent all this time building up such a credible, horrible baddie. Um, one one of the big things that Tyrion does here, once he manages to get Cersei out of the way, is he sends Cleos Frey, you know, the, this guy who's taking the peace terms back and forth, mm. sends him back up to Riverrun to to rob mm. uh, with new terms, mm. which is still fairly fairly bad. I don't think anyone's agreeing to them. 
but he sends all the Lannister guards with him as well. So all the guards in the, in King's Landing who've been effectively working for Cersei, mm. um, he sends them all away, uh, and, and in one stroke sort of undermines Cersei's main power base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Clever move. Yeah, he's a clever one, that Tyrion Lannister. Yeah. Immediately after that, Sir Alistair Thorne turns up in the in the throne room. Oh, it's worth pointing out, Tyrion is literally sitting on the Iron Throne now. He's taking care of business uh, today. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah, so he's fine. He's made it, <laughs> if you like. He's, he's in the seat. Isn't it interesting um, how whenever this happens, it's not a climactic moment. They all just complain about how uncomfortable it is. Yeah, um, I mean, he, he he seems to feel he, he likes it. He said he looks down on everybody for the first time. Like, yeah. he, he literally can look down on everybody. Yeah, yeah. And he, he quite likes the feeling. But beyond that, yeah, yeah, it's not the most comfortable. No, 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 no. And and it's not. It can't be the most comfortable. He's, he's a chair made out of knives. <laughs> it's not going to work, is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, Sir Alistair Thorne, as we said, um, turns... He Peter pushes himself to the front... Um, he turned up in uh, in King's Landing a while back, and Tyrion decided not to bother seeing him because he didn't like him mm. um, uh, when he saw him at the wall. And this time, Sir Alistair pushes his way forward and says, "I, I will be heard now." And he says he- he's been sent down with with the, if you remember that hand in a jar which is still moving. <laughs> so you're thinking this is the moment where everyone's going to find out about it. Yeah. And. Um, it turns out the hand's rotted away because he's been waiting so long to see somebody. Oh, there's a metaphor and no mistake. Yeah. Um, is, Dave, is this a plot hole? Because if a guy turns up in a city with a, a hand in a jar that's moving, mm. surely surely people find out about it and someone mentions to Terry <laughs> that the guy's got a fucking hand moving around in it a jar. It is moving. Um, I, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because, I mean, I, what it makes me think of is um, after Robert died, all those different rumours that were running around and like this mm. very strong sense of it almost not being worth paying attention to what's said on the streets unless it's about yeah. how many people want to kill the king because yeah. they'll just believe anything and they'll make anything up. And I, yeah. I have a feeling that to somebody like Tyrion paying close attention to street rumours would be a little bit like looking closely at what's running through the gutters and trying to govern that way. They'd just be like, look, it's deeply distasteful and it's not going to tell me very much. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it is within a hair's breadth of being a plot hole, but I can just about see why why that wouldn't have come about. On the other hand, a moving hand, if he'd have been more of a showman, you would have thought Sir Alistair would have... Um, set up like a sideshow pay me one <laughs> copper coin to see the famous moving hand of northern Westeros he would have got some attention then wouldn't he well I I think surely though if when Thorne makes his third attempt or you know even his first to see somebody important and they say no no oh yeah we'll do it in a bit we're not going to see it he, he pulls out the hand and says, Let's fucking look at this. Yeah, you would. Someone you? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and then they take you straight away. Yeah. And I'd imagine that's how it would work in most stories. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Maybe maybe Thorne is also such a, um, I don't know, the kind of character who thinks, well, I'm not going to show this to anybody unless it's to the king because he's so yeah. stubborn. Yeah, he's a um, knob, isn't he? He's not the one you want to send with a sort of delicately diplomatic mission of great importance. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I for that reason, for those for those two reasons, I can sort of again, I can just about see it. But the but the you know, it's it's a wafer thin premise to rest quite a lot of stuff on. Because yeah, anybody else would be like, I have a moving hand. You can explain it. Explain it. If not, I'd like to talk to the king, please. Yeah. I tell you um, what, the interesting thing is that there was never any chance of Joffrey getting anywhere near this either, was there? The idea no. of the king doing something responsible in governance is just so alien. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, T- Tyrion hears the story. He laughs it off like everybody else. Mm. Um, but he, do- he does send the watch some more men. Mm. Um, and you get the feeling that is pretty much uh, Tyrion I don't think is 100% sure that that could be true but also um, even if he did believe it <clears throat> his kind of hands are kind of tied he can't start, He can't be sending loads of support north of the wall because he's got a feeling that nasty things are happening up there hmm. without losing his power base here and being ridiculed for it yeah 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 that's very true and I thought I mean, this was an interesting moment that had to be played quite delicately, I think, by George Martin, because if you've planned seven books and halfway through the second one, somebody turns up with with a shortcut, um, Mm. you know, you have to have him being turned away, and you have to have him being turned away by a character that you spent quite a lot of time making sympathetic. So you have, for this chapter, you have to have everybody going, Tyrion, don't be a knob, pay attention. Mm. Um, And so to make it part of this quite clever political play on Tyrion's part, you know where he where he kind of dismisses the problem, but sends men to the wall anyway, and deals with it, but doesn't lose the propaganda war and all of that sort of thing. Like I was quite quite clever writing, quite clever plotting. Yeah. Um, even though I was, you know, I was ready to throw the book across the room because you're like, no, the terrifying, huge white cookie monster looking beasts. Ah! <laughs> yeah, um, we we find out a couple of other things here. One is that he's going to. Tyrion, one of the reasons Tyrion's sending all these Lannisters away is obviously to undermine Cersei, but the other is he's going to hide a, a thief, a poisoner, a mummer, and a murderer. A mummer is like a... Um, An actor. I suppose, like a... Yeah, or a, um, an illusionist, I suppose. Oh, yeah, a, yeah. Bit, a bit of a cross between the two. Um, so a thief, a poisoner, a mummer, and a murderer um, amongst the Lannisters in a elaborate attempt to break out Jamie Lannister from Riverrun. <laughs> I thought you were going to say in an elaborate setup for a corny joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in an elaborate setup for a sitcom, which is a spin-off sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> Game of punchlines. Here we go. <laughs> Game of groans. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh. <laughs> right, okay. The next bit as well. Here we go. Uh, everybody's favourite DJ, Grandmaster Pycelle, wicker wicker. Um, this is this is the moment he's really brought down because um, Tyrion has has discovered through his plan to to sort of find out who's the rat in uh, in King's Landing. He gave these these three different secrets to the to the main characters, Littlefinger, uh, Varys, and. Pycelle and waited to see which one would get back to the Queen. Hmm. It turns out Pycelle's secret got yeah. back to the Queen. Um, so Pycelle's in his chambers. He's got a couple of groupies, obviously. Hmm. Um, and the, <laughs> the t- t- Tyrion bursts in with um, w- with a couple of the mo- the uh, a couple of the mountain clans. Shagger's there. Shagger's and oh, good old Shagger. Um, he 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 accuses Pycelle 
of being a rat and then uh, tells Chaga son of Dolph to do his super special move (laughs) which is cut off his manhood and feed it to the goats. (laughs) And you can imagine Chaga going, good opportunity to do good thing but where's the goat? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he actually says there are no goats. And uh, and Tyrion says, make do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a wonderful, you can just see it as well, can't you? Just this sort of Tyrion walking through, make do. <laughs> yeah. Now he do- he doesn't in the end cut off his manhood and feed it to the no. goats. He he just cuts off Pycelle's beard, which is this thing he's been working on for decades, it seems. <laughs> um and eventually um th- they manage to squeeze a confession out of Pycelle who says he, he he still says he's everything he's done is to help the Lannisters, but it turns out he betrayed um he's been betraying everybody left, right and centre. He betrayed Aerys, remember the Mad King? Yeah. He was the guy who convinced Eris to uh, to open the gates and let the Lannisters in yeah. in the first place, and also he was behind the the the, the death of John Arryn as well because John Arryn was, was getting too close to the truth. So we get it confirmed, but what we suspected for a while that uh, John Arryn was offed by Lannisters because of um, of what yeah. he discovered and it's actually it's another one um another example like the revelation that Joffrey is a bastard of incest that is kind of the whole the whole of the previous book hinged around it and now it's just kind of come out and mm. and it's just sort of out there and it's played in a very sort of understated sort of a way yeah. um which is really odd like it's yeah. just I mean I understand why because you've got this bigger world and you've opened up the focus but one of the costs of that is that you spent one whole book waiting for the payoff and it's just never going to come now because it's just out there you know it's just sort of happened yeah yeah um, so and, and that's another it's another removal of a, a a key part of Cersei's power as well you can see Tywin's really tipping the scales in his favour in the city now and he's very carefully and cleverly managed to um to to, to place himself in a stronger position than the queen. Yeah, yeah, and of course I'm in the cheap seats, whooping like a redneck. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. It's great to see see a character get something over on Queen Cersei. I've been waiting for a book and a half for this to happen. <laughs> um, next up is Arya, a chapter about Arya. She's she's been captured by the Mountains men, and um, this is a terrifying uh, episode Fucking for her. Right. Um, she is she's basically every day she's in this group of people who are just living waiting to die and every day the mountain walks into the room and picks somebody at random to be tortured to death Um, it's horrible isn't it yeah and that is that is pretty uh, and and she, she 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 thinks about the various people who've try to make sure it's not them. One bloke's been helping fixing Lannister clothing and trying to get Pally with them, and he was chosen. One um, one woman put herself forward to save her teenage daughter, and they took her, and the next day they took the daughter as well, just to be sure. And it's just, it's just merciless, isn't it? Completely merciless. Yeah, and it's weird, isn't it, that how believable it is that people are still kind of desperately trying to buy their own lives despite the mm. fact that again and again and again whatever they say the mountain shows that he's going to kill them mm. and doesn't seem to kill them with any sense of restraint either so it's not even like you can have a horrible death or an easy death 
you're yeah. always going to have a horrible death at the hands of this merciless psychopath and there's just nothing to be done and still people are saying no I'll, I'll shop everybody I'll tell you everything and it's yeah. oh it's heartbreaking the, the, the torturer is called uh, the tickler and um, is he and he yeah and oh that's that's that makes me shudder as it just through the name and it's quite elegantly done this um this torture stuff insofar as how it's presented because we don't see the only um the only sort of insight we get into what they actually do is the fact that this guy is called the tickler and they call him an artist and the way that he Ugh. kills people slowly but we but it doesn't it isn't I don't know it would be easy for George Martin to to go all sort of I don't know um slash your horror and yeah. just just describe you know you know horror porn and just describe yeah. these disgusting things which are being done but he doesn't he just it just alludes to it and then we move on and it's it's just as effective I think I agree with that and it's interesting that like the t- like the TV series has a lot more sex in it than the book um hmm. the um the TV series would probably do more to show this, although obviously there's the sort of well well visited double standard between showing physical violence and showing explicit sex on screen. Um, yeah, it does. But it, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It, it, but it does, it it does, does show, show some it. of this. Like it's the sort of thing where there's some horrible implement of torture which is applied to somebody, and the point of application is just off screen. I think is how that is how it's played in this particular thing, you know. Yeah. And um, but they do go into it a lot more, and it is torture porn, whereas. In the book, you don't need to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we're not talking about the TV series, so I suppose there's not a lot to be said else about that. But I just I find it quite interesting that it can be as horrifying in the book just by referring to it. You know? Yeah, I mean, just as I mentioned, the TV series. This is this is what they show. They put a rat in a bucket, strap it to some some poor bass's chest, and then effectively heat the the end of the bucket up so the so the rat gets so sort of terrified that it burrows into the person's chest. Oh. I'm not sure I'm not sure if that can happen, but God it's frightening. It's just, oh, it's disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. That is that is literally getting medieval on someone's ass, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah. So th- they eventually arrive at Harrenhal and Aya has is now beginning to every night say this prayer of hate where she lists all the different people who've done herself or her family or friends wrong mm. and who she wants to see killed and there's this l- very long list of people that she she recites every night now to remember who to hate and who she wants to kill um which is it's just showing the the, the mental effect that it's having on yeah. all this all, all this damage is having on um on Arya. yeah it's harrowing isn't it and um uh there's a bit of me when I read this that was like, oh no, because we've got enough time in this series for Arya to become a grown person who is mm. proper fucked up, unlike and who you've seen grow from this like quite happy-go-lucky, really energetic kid. Um, mm. And you could, you know, like if your only moment of reflection in a day is remembering all the people that you loathe and dreaming about their death, at the age of ten, that's going to fuck you up. Do you know what I mean? As much as being captured and seeing torture in front of your eyes and the rest of it, like, you know, but you just see how this could really screw up a character that you really like and you're kind of hoping that it wouldn't happen. Yeah. They arrive at Harrenhal, which is, uh, it's this, we've spoken about it before, this castle which is, um, was effectively melted 
uh, in part by uh, by dragon fire the last time that um, there were dragons around. Another little gruesome um, addition is the fact that when they built Hall, they mixed blood into the mortar. So it's a, it's not surprising that everybody thinks it's a haunted place and it's got this reputation. Um, it's pretty grim. Aya is is sort of the, the people who survived the journey and haven't been tortured to death are now added to the the household at Hall because they don't have enough people to to run the place. Mm. Um, so she's got to effectively work for the Lannisters, and it looks like she was going to get sent to the kitchens, which is apparently the the easy gig until she opens her mouth and pisses off the people who are deciding where to send everybody so she ends up going to somewhere instead of the nice warm kitchens mm. she's now going to work in what's called the wailing tower which doesn't sound <laughs> particularly inviting yeah it's not come to sunny the wailing tower doesn't work no doesn't work no <laughs> okay although it does sound like something you might find in blackpool again <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> um next up's daenerys um, and Daenerys has arrived at Carth now. If you remember last time, she was in this uh, deserted city with her people, and now um, they've moved on to Carth after a few um, sort of emissaries came from there. Carth sounds amazing. It's got these three walls. It's like a, an outer wall, an inner wall, and then an inner inner wall, which you can see from for miles and miles. And each one's got different sort of carvings and decorations on and the first is is built with red i think red brick and then gray and then a gray material and then black material so it's multicolored as well mm. and it seems like a really this civilized island in the middle of nowhere because um, everybody seems Daenerys's impression is everybody seems quite sort of advanced and like I say civilized mm. Um, she gets two offers of um, everybody wants a piece of the dragons, basically, don't they? Of course. And these two people have approached her. One's called Zaro Zaro Doxus. Is he Zaro Zaro Doxus? I think that's it. I, I don't um, know, but with a name like that, he's either an unutterable badass in a comic book or <laughs> a hemorrhoid medication. He's one of the two, isn't he? <laughs> We will discover which one, <laughs> but it, he's got a seat on the ruling council um, in Carth, and he's offering Daenerys power in return for um, sort of something to do with her dragons. And Pyat Pre wants her attention. This is another character, and he's this creepy warlock guy with blue lips mm. who wants to take her to somewhere called the House of the Undying. And uh, rather unsurprisingly, Daenerys isn't massively down with that plan. It doesn't seem that inviting, does it? It doesn't, really, because if you've got to call a place the House of the Undying, that's a bit like, mm. I would hope that most houses are places where people don't die. So if you have to call your name that, it's a bit... What are you trying to, what are you trying to avoid saying? Because yeah. it really sounds like what yeah. you're saying is the house where people occasionally die. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she do, she does take up the offer from Zaro Zarodoxus to to stay in his uh, in his place um, while uh, while she's here, and it's the biggest palace you've ever seen, um, and she can't believe how luxurious it is. And there's a point actually she she's taking a bath in this marble bath surrounded by you know colourful plants and beautiful birds. And it's this sort of it's it's like the most amazing holiday place ever, 
and she thinks she wonders whether King's Landing's anything like this, and yeah. and suspects that it is because of all the tales she's heard from her brother. And you're just wondering if 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 and when either she does invade, yeah. she's going to come back down to earth with a bump because King's Landing it is very grand in places, yeah. but it's nothing like this, is it? No, well because she's been shown the best possible part of it, and I think you find that a lot in. Um, uh, in like popular holiday destinations, you know, there's the there's mm. the resorts which are if you pay for them are incredibly luxurious, but they're not mm. the country, and it's a bit disingenuous to say that you've seen the place just because you've been taken because of your status to the most possible comfortable part of it. And by that yeah. same token, if she's going to be king of Queen, uh, sorry, Queen of King's Landing, then um, she's going to have to see all the shit in the streets as well as mm. the luxury. Oh, mind you, Joffrey hasn't. We'll see how yeah. well that's working out for him. <laughs> but I, I, I just think even just the luxury in King's Landing isn't anything like this. It's, uh, yeah. it's sort of, you know, it's, it's the sort of you, they have nice, massive, luxurious feasts and all this. But there's, I don't know, there's still the brutality surrounding them all the time. And even I, I just get the impression even the nice things in King's Landing. Um, aren't the same level as this kind of as this kind of experience? Well, possibly. Although it's possible that the the nastiness of Carth is as um, is is as pronounced is bigger than the nastiness in King's Landing, just as the niceness is bigger than the niceness in King's Landing. Because we haven't seen anything here, and I'm damned if I'm going to sit here and be like, "Oh, she's in a lovely place, basically a hotel for really rich people." I'm certain that nothing's <laughs> going to come along to change the. Uh, the tenor of this experience, like, yeah. of course, of yeah. course, something's going to go wrong. This is a George R. R. Mm. Martin novel, so, so there's a bit of me that's like, you know, jury's still out for me. Yeah, um, this this news reaches Daenerys that King Robert is dead, and she she reacts obviously with just joy because this weight's been lifted and it's interesting because it's this two sides to the coin because from our point of view over when we're over in king's landing robert's death is a is a disaster and um you don't i don't know i never really hated him and also you wanted him around for the help that he could offer ned mm. um but here the the news that robert's died is 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 fantastic because she's she's lived all her life with this guy shut this this guy's shadow over her yeah. because he's been trying to kill her yeah. and and now he's gone and and it's just a massive massive weight that's been lifted yeah 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 and um it's weird isn't it seeing this character who's been through who's alternated between grief and kind of stony fortitude um mm. almost quite spooky still kind of fortitude um to be happy it's really weird mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's also good news for her tactically because it means the Seven Kingdoms, as we've seen, are now involved in just a load of infighting. Yeah. So there's no there's no real power. It's all a bit weaker over there now. Yeah. So the time's right for her if she can if she can get something together. The time's right for her to get in there and make a claim now. Yeah. Before somebody unites the kingdoms again. Yeah. So it it, it adds a bit of urgency as well, doesn't it? She's in this place, which is, seems quite nice. But her main objective is still getting over there to King's Landing and becoming queen. Mm. And if she wants to do that, this is the time to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next up, we've got Bran. Bran's finally got some friends up in Winterfell. This Jojen and Mira are knocking about with him quite a lot. The Kranigmen. 
and um and he's finding out a bit more about them and all this um sir roderick one of our i mean it's fair to say he's one of our favorite minor characters isn't he he is the guy with the whiskers because he's a badass he is yeah he is off um in the in the east of the the north now um effectively just regulating because <laughs> um roose bolton roose bolton's bastard who we heard about before who was massing an army mm. he's um he's taken remember lady hornwood who was this um as we said last time she's got a castle which is fairly rich mm. and her her husband and son have both died so there's no heir for that and everyone's offering marriage because they want to marry her and take the land um roose bolton's bastard's just taken her prisoner effectively I think he's just going to take it by force. Mm. So Lord Manderley, who's the guy at, uh, in White Harbour, who's next door, he's effectively moved into her castle to keep it to keep it out of the hands of Roose Bolton's Yeah, bastard. for chivalry, though, right? Not just because he'd really <laughs> like a bigger castle. I must, a lady's honour is at stake. Yeah, so it's basically an almighty mess over there now. Yeah. So Sir Roderick's headed over to sort everybody out, basically. Mm. Um which is which is left uh, which is left Bran alone effectively. Yeah. Um, Jojen um, is talking to Bran about his dreams, saying that they're actually premonitions, mm. and that he, he he has the third eye as it's known, um, which is this. It's all tied in with this three-eyed crow and all that. And Bran's effectively being told that the dreams that he has are actually real, mm. and and that he when he dreams that he's a wolf, as we've suspected, I suppose. He is actually becoming or inhabiting the body of Summer. Mm. Um, Bran takes these uh, these suggestions to Master Lewin, who says that there there was this history of green seers who could see through the do you know the eyes of the weirwoods of the trees, mm. um, which loads of the first men chopped down, and that was why the first men chopped them down because they thought they were being spied upon. Yeah. Um, so Lewin says that there is something about this, but he also says it's rubbish because he um, he shows Bran this ring. Do you know, Matt Maces have this these this sort of necklace of all these different rings, yeah. which they get each one for mastering a certain a certain discipline. Yeah, and he says he's got this one of Valerian steel, which is was given to him because he studied um, magic effectively, and he said he studied it, and his conclusion was it doesn't work. You know, it's all just fairy stories. Yeah, and you know you can believe that being a rational sort of response at a certain point, can't mm. you? Um, yeah. But um, this is great foreshadowing. This is fantastic kind of plot work where you've got like you've had dragons, you've had Bran having these weird dreams since the very start of the first book. Um, you've got White Walkers starting to appear, and again, it's this whole feeling of like a swelling return of magic to the world and um and and here you've got kind of the maester lewin who's this incredibly well-read guy being like yeah tried it didn't work and not really giving credence to the possibility that that might change because why would he mm. yeah um but it would our experience tells us that he might need to reconsider that um and certainly it seems that uh jojen is um is totally bought into the idea as a kid as well so it's not like something that he's developed as an older guy as a desire to make money out of it or something he's not a hedge wizard he's just no. like he seems to be totally bought into the idea that yeah I see through the I see through the eyes of animals yeah I think um, I think Jojen um, 
is he has premonitions, dreams that are premonitions. Mm. Um, I think Bran has that as well, but Bran also sees through animals. I don't think Jojen does both. I think it's one or the other. Oh, um, oh, I see. Sorry, I misread that. Oops. It's all right. It's just worth making the making the difference because I think it's important later mm. on. Um, but yeah, it's the, another thing about the wolves. Um, when Jojen is telling Bran about this, Bran doesn't really want to hear it. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't want this kind of stuff to be real, and he gets a bit uncomfortable. And Jojen sort of presses on, mm. and the the wolves become really wild now. Um, Summer and uh, Shaggy Dog who turns up as well. They pretty much almost kill these two kids. Yeah. Um. And and Bran actually tries to call Summer off, and he can't do it. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's just a it's just a little hint that these wolves are obviously fiercely loyal to each of the children, mm. but you know they're still animals, and sometimes they you know Bran doesn't have total control over his. Yeah. Although I wonder, I mean, is this something to do with the presence of Jojen? Is this like, you know, because he just seems to be in many senses a big old spanner in the works. Mm. Um. Uh, without really wanting to be, I don't think he's malevolent, but it does seem to me that his presence is changing a lot of stuff. Really, he really distresses Bran even before the wolves go mental. Mm. Or is it possible that the wolves go mental because he really distresses Bran? Mm-hmm. I, I I think it's that. I think I think it's the wolves that go mad because because Bran's upset, or at least one of them does. Mm. I think Summer does, and then Shaggy Dog does because Summer is acting as he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe once she gets so upset, it's hard to, to so sort kind of, of bring... pull the wolf back from it. Oh, so lo- this is losing your temper squared, isn't it? This is yeah, this is I the idea of genuinely it. losing grip on something and not being able to gather it back in. And instead of it being yeah. your own emotional state, it's a wolf. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, next up is, we go back to Tyrion, um, who's, who's sitting down with Lancel... Lannister know um, because Lancel's been sent to to, to see Tyrion to, to just show how angry the Queen is um, and Tyrion works out or I don't know if he's found out from someone else that Lancel's actually been sleeping with Cersei um, she's, of course she's he has. at it again oh um, fuck's sake what's the matter with her it's not like she lacks for options is it they're not they're not no. you know Boy toys for hire in 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 <laughs> King's Landing. There seem to be everybody else. <laughs> yeah, um, the I don't know if it's all wrapped up with Cersei in this superiority of Lannisters, and that she kind of incountenance even being with anybody else. Yeah, but you've got to be pretty far through the looking glass, haven't you, to to be like my family's so great, I'm only going to shag them. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a it's a rational. Thing oh, thing. good. You're not advocating <laughs> but, incest but, then. That's, that's, no, that's desirable. But. but, but Maybe she's had this drummed into her from daddy from such a young age <laughs> that she just now believes that, you know, anything else is is hamburger and chips compared to steak. <laughs> why go out anyway, for, why go out for burger when you can have steak at home? Oh dear. That's the one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but she but you know, for whatever reason it turns out it looks like she's she's now bedding Lancel, who's who, who's from the way Tyrion describes him, is it seems like a, a sort of a, a a Diet Coke version of Jamie Lannister, isn't he? Um, so he, he kind of looks similar, but you know, um, <laughs> Lancel is um, isn't exactly the hardest guy to turn. Um, 
Tyrion basically says that he knows about Lancel and sleeping with his sister, which Tyrion obviously doesn't for sure, but manages to manages to convince Lancel, and he starts to blackmail him. Yeah. So Lancel's working double agent now. He's going to pretend to be spying on Tyrion while, in fact, he's spying on Cersei. Tyrion actually feels sorry for him for a moment because he thinks either way the poor guy's doomed now. Yeah. Because either Cersei's going to find out that she's that he's a spy, or even if by some miracle she doesn't, she's going to either off him um, before Jamie Lannister returns because she doesn't want Jamie to find out. Yeah. Or Jamie will find out and he'll off him. Either way, you can't see a way that Lance will survive him beyond the book. Can you? No, well, exactly. I mean, depending on when or how mm. Jamie gets back. Um, that isn't a spoiler, by the way. Not 100% sure. Anyway. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I wouldn't know. So there we go. Mm. Um, but uh yeah like it's hard to have much sympathy for him though isn't it because he just he, he comes in there all piss and vinegar and all Tyrion needs to do is kind of go have you considered the following three realities and he goes don't hurt me <laughs> don't hurt me um <laughs> yeah. and just sort of crumbles and there's nothing there's nothing like leading with arrogance to make sure nobody's got sympathy for you when you fall yeah um yeah. so yeah <laughs> I tell you what actually this says though about Cersei as well is that I mean uh, well I mean we haven't really heard what she thinks about sleeping with her brother but um, and I don't know which would be more distasteful if she was really emotionally engaged in it if or, or if it was just shagging for boredom's sake but like she's not she just seems to be totally bereft of any kind of you know, even this, even this relationship, which she's risked everything to continue, um, doesn't really mean enough to her, and she just needs to shag her cousin as well. Her cousin, oh, not right, mm, not right. After this, after he deals with Lancel, he um, goes to see Shay again. Goes through this elaborate uh, process where he goes to a brothel, and then you know, as we know, sneaks out and rides over to a different part of the city. Um, it turns out the guards around Shay, um, Tyrion's chosen. He's got Varys to pick out the ugliest guards he can find. <laughs> Tyr- so Tyrion's still got a bit of. There is a bit of sort of insecurity about him there. Yeah. Um, he, he says he, he would have preferred to have the Mountain Clans there because he trusts the iron loyalty and honor. Yeah. And um, that's quite interesting that he's picked that out, hasn't he? Yeah. He's realised that these Mountain Clans, vicious as they are, aren't going to switch sides on him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's bought them and they're his. Instead mm, of he quite likes he's them. rented them, yeah, yeah. Um, and as as Tyrion sort of uh, is lying there in bed with Shay, we we realise that he is pretty much on top of the world now. He's genuinely happy for the I think maybe for the first time in his life, he's managed to um, supplant. He's managed to get rid of Cersei's main power base, so he's the main power there now. Yeah, and um, and he's got this. He, he's got this um, Shay who he's extremely happy with and seems to love very much and everything is going well for him it seems yeah which automatically makes me think how's it going to go wrong and when yeah i mean there are there are these big dark clouds in the size of two or even three massive armies that may any moment appear and decide to try and take (laughs) king's landing and ruin everything but apart from that he's looking okay (laughs) apart from that (laughs) yeah yeah. Speaking of things looking up, um, Arya, even though she's stuck on the floor of the sleeping on the floor of the Wailing Tower, 
surrounded by Lannister guards and with a uh, a boss called Weiss who beats her all the time. Um, this is she she considers that this is actually much better than it was when she was on the road. At least she's not worried that she's going to die at any moment, and um, and she gets she gets meals every day and somewhere to sleep. So. You know, every cloud. <laughs> Turns out, um, hot pie is working in the kitchen. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he try at one point he tries to sneak some food to Arya, and he's so crap at it he gets caught, so he gets beaten for it. But it's still nice that he's trying. Absolutely, you know, he's got, you've, top marks. You feel hot, hot pie. pie's got a good heart. Yeah, and uh, Gendry's working in the forge, obviously, because he used to be a, an armorer's apprentice. So that's the place to put him. Yeah. Um. Now, there's a there's a guy called Sir Harry Swift, one of the Lannis, uh, sort of like main Lannister knights, who everybody hates, and they all spit in his food. Apparently, um, it's just quite a nice. Little, I just like the nice bit of colour there. Yeah, and it's um, an interesting one, isn't it? Like it's canny to to make it a bit like it's not just everybody hates the people who've been brought in. Like there's all sorts of petty back and forth and arguments and hatreds and. And actually, mm. ironically, despite being held captive there, perhaps that makes it slightly more hopeful. Perhaps there's going to be a way to escape because the mm. castle is a very complicated place. Yeah, and also there's there's the presence of the Northmen around as well in a couple of ways. One is um, Roose Bilton's still knocking about somewhere here mm. um, because we hear word that people are still worried about his force, and um, there are there are various outriders. Um, trying to trying to work out what to do next with him, and also there are the captured northernmen who are in Harrenhal. There's um there's this really fat northerner who we think I assume is one of the Mandalays. I think he's one of Lord Mandalay's sons. Remember, one of them was captured. Yeah. Um, there's also this brooding character who keeps walking the walls. Mm. Um, and he's got I think he's got some sons sewn uh, sewn into his his sort of outfit. And I've no idea who that is, but you know he's wandering about. He's from the north as well. Yeah. And then there's a a Lord Lord Serwin who do you remember last time we spoke? This this kid called Clay Serwin turned up at a, oh did we say Kerwin? I think it's Kerwin. 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 I think it is, but yeah. what do I know? Yeah. So this kid called Clay Kerwin turned up at um at Winterfell, and Bram was really pleased to see him because he's the he basically lives in the castle down the street, if you like. Yeah. And this <clears throat> this is the guy who owns that castle, yeah. and he's been caught as well. Yeah. And he. I is really um, quite hopeful of meeting him because she knows him quite well. Yeah. So she'll be able to say, you know, it's me. And unfortunately, he dies before she gets to see him of his wounds from the battle. Mm. So it's another Faraya close but no cigar, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and you just wonder how much more shit is going to be piled upon the head of this nine-year-old, don't you? <laughs> There's yeah. just never any yeah. hope for it. Yeah, um, speaking of more shit being piled on, uh, Amory Locke, the guy who led the force that wiped out Yorin and everybody else, he returns to the castle, and the three guys who were in the cage who Arya saved, you know, Baita, Rog, and um, and Jack and Hagar, mm. are now part of the Lannister army. They've of been course taken they on. <laughs> So it's another sort of slap in the face for Arya, isn't it? Is that... Actually, um, do you know what? Is that not a bit of a plot hole? Like... Like why would mm, why right. were they desperately trying to kill all of the characters we cared about, but then obviously the characters we don't care about are taken on without any questions asked into their fighting force? Good question. Like they're trying to yeah. kill everybody, aren't they? Why would they not just be killed? Yeah, 
maybe they, they must have been they must have been somehow shown that they were you know they're obviously the three most dangerous characters in this um in 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 yeah. in that hold fast weren't they yeah. maybe they managed to find a way of of holding up or holding off the soldiers long enough <laughs> for um for yeah. somebody to negotiate a truce I actually don't know. yeah i think you might be onto something there but i suppose if you're going to pick any of them from that hold fast who are nasty enough to be taken on by someone like the mountain yeah. it would be these three yes yes it would wouldn't it yeah but I agree. I think it would have been helpful to to actually at least see that or hear of how that happened. Yeah. Um, obviously, we don't have a POV character amongst this, so it'd be hard to find a way of seeing it in real time. But you'd have thought there would be somewhat some character would have been able to tell the story. I either Amory Locke or Jack and Hagar to say this is how we ended up as yeah. Lannisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that's just going to happen because they're badans. So of course they're with yeah. the Lannisters. Um, one of the uh, mountains' uh, men, uh, Chiswick, as we've heard before. Whenever I hear that, I always imagine remember Brian Blessed, Chiswick, fresh horses. <laughs> um, but, I but mean, Chiswick I think is, I think not casting Brian Blessed in this was a massive mistake. It, he could have been a great mountain, wouldn't, wouldn't he? he? Oh, God, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> um, but Chiswick is retelling this horrendous tale of the rape of an innkeeper's daughter. Oh, God. Um, uh, basically, the the headlines are the mountain and uh, various men, including Chiswick, stayed at this inn, and um, the innkeeper's daughter ends up getting raped. And the innkeeper's so terrified that at the end of it all, he says thank you and lets them go on the way. Um, and in some, in, and this is somehow a hilarious tale as far as Chiswick's concerned. And Aya hears it and is disgusted by yeah. it. And then slightly later on. She meets Jack and Hagar. Mm. Um, this this one guy who I think he was probably the reason she let she freed the three guys, yeah. the three men, because yeah. he was actually nice to her. Yeah. And he says rather mysteriously that um, because she saved three lives, he owes her three lives, so she can choose three people to die, and he'll kill them because mm. he's some kind of badass assassin. It turns out, <laughs> and and so she names Chiswick because for no other reason than the fact she hated his story yeah. and um, within like a couple of pages he's uh, he falls from the walls of Harrenhal and is found dead well good although mm. it does make you think doesn't it like as much as you want to see Chiswick dead um, you there's there's kind of a what, again what's this doing to Arya that she's like her solution yeah. to not liking somebody is to have them killed by her own private yeah. assassin um, yeah. You know, and you think mm, this while Chiswick deserves it is this is this going to do more harm than good to Arya as a kind of? Um, yeah. I tell you what, I thought was interesting as well. Actually, is that um, Jake and Hagar is one of these followers of the Red God, isn't he? Like um, like Stannis's peeps. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. He says the Red God says, you know, a life for a life. Ah, um, that's interesting because he's from across the water. Um, hmm. So, I mean, that's just an interesting little kind of angle on this on this religion because he doesn't seem to be much of a fundamentalist mm. at all he's just a terrifying no. killer um, yeah and so yeah you know you kind of wonder uh, you kind of wonder what else this this religion which is currently resurgent is going to turn out to be about yeah at the end Aya um, thinks about that I love this line she thinks about the fact that everybody tells these stories about ghosts at Harrenhal and the ghosts of Harrenhal mm. and she thinks she's sitting there thinking deciding who to kill next 
and she thinks she says to herself, "I'm the ghost of Heron Hall," mm. um, which is quite cool. Uh, it is. It is quite cool. <laughs> Although, again, quite a troubling thing for a ten-year-old to say. We are. We <laughs> yeah, are. We are straying closer and closer to the Omen territory, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> Um, next up is Caitlin, uh, Catelyn. We've not um, we've not heard from her yet in this part, mm. and she is sitting in on this discussion, um, on this meeting between Renly and Stannis. This is uh, you've got these two armies now, the the massive army of Renly and the not inconsiderable army of uh, of Stannis, mm. and are they going to come to blows? And this is the discussion which is going to decide whether or not that's going to happen. Mm. Um, it, it takes place close to Storm's End, which is it's the old Baratheon seat. This this is before Baratheons were kings. This is where they used to used to rule, mm. and um, it should have, by rights, I suppose, gone to Stannis after Robert left, but he gave it to Renly instead, kind of just to spite him, I think, because <laughs> he didn't <laughs> like Stannis very much. Um, but it's caused this simmering resentment in Stannis. Unsurprisingly, he's always resentful about something. Yeah. And um, when Stannis meets Cat- uh, Catelyn, he promises her justice for um, the the death of Ned, mm. um, which is, I mean, it's kind of a comfort, but a cold comfort. Stannis doesn't do warmth really. Um, yeah, and we have this we have this discussion between Renly and Stannis, and I don't know, neither of them are particularly good at negotiating are they um stannis because he just he won't budge on anything mm. and he's easily offended and renly because he's he's got this young man's um arrogance uh, yeah and almost teenage arrogance in a way mm. and there's this line that picks out and it sounded just like the kind of thing that an arrogant teenager says where he says to stannis um i've got all the banners and he says no one wants you for the king sorry and it's just it's just why add the sorry and why say it so bluntly yeah. to a guy you know is he's he's not interested in in what Stannis thinks is he? No, he's Renly. not. And it's quite clear from that. It's quite spiteful, is what it is. Mm. And and you can just see a kind of yeah, it's youthful arrogance allied with mm. unearned power, and that makes it that makes it quite deadly, really. I think. Yeah, Th- this this story of uh, of Joffrey being a bastard which is now all over the kingdom Stannis says here and we, this this is uh, answers the question we had last time mm. Stannis said that he knew this um, when Robert Arryn was around so him and he he found out somehow Stannis and then him and Robert Arryn were, were putting the you pieces John together Arryn. oh sorry yeah yeah him and John Arryn um, so Stannis already knew this and it was him and John Arryn who were putting the pieces together mm. uh, when John Arryn was killed and then Stannis fled mm. so that's how Stannis knew it wasn't anything to do with Ned telling him mm. or Ned getting a message out it was just Stannis had already, had already it found out. out yeah 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 so Stannis says you know so this this proves that I'm the rightful king yeah and Renly basically says that's probably right, but I don't care anyway because I've got the army, mm. which makes me the rightful king. Yeah, and everybody wants me on the throne. Mm. Um, Renly <laughs> bizarrely reaches into his sort of into his pocket, if you like, and everybody freaks out, thinking it's going to be a war. Is <laughs> he's going to draw his sword? Yeah. and he pulls out a peach and starts eating it, and says, um, "Do you want to have some of the peach? Because it's very nice." And Stannis obviously says no. Yeah. Um, Renly offers him st- offers Stannis Storm's End, mm. which Stannis refuses, 
and um, Renly says to his sort of followers, he refuses my peach, he refuses my castle, he even shunned my wedding. You know, he's basically, you know, what am I to do with this? We're going to have to have a war. And, you know, and Stannis offers the same. Stannis says to Renly, you know, bend the knee and you can have Storm's End because because I still love you as a brother. But um, anything else and we're going to come to come to blows it's basically a negotiation between two people who don't want to negotiate isn't it it is and you've got caitlin in the middle of it just becoming more and more exasperated as only a mother can um because she must have seen this hundreds of times between her kids and uh Mm. it's yeah it's not gonna go well is it it i think it takes a special kind of pig-headed arrogance to act in this way when you're at the point of condemning hundreds of men to death because you can't have a good conversation. Um, mm. But then maybe it's exactly the same pig-headed arrogance that makes you able to think that you can run an entire country by yourself anyway. Mm. You know, maybe, yeah. that's just, maybe that's just what kingship is. Yeah, so in the end, they um, obviously decide to, to settle this through a battle, and they agree to, to fight, at, to sort of a battle at dawn, if you like. And as Stannis leaves... The red woman, uh, Melisandre, who's been with him all the time carrying the banner, she speaks for the first time and she just says, look to your own sins, Lord Renly, and then rides away. And it's just another one of these weird, sinister moments. Yeah, cryptically sinister and creepy things that she says. Yeah. But then again, she has a history of actually following up on these things, doesn't she? So... Yeah. Yeah. uh, uh. We... We we um we've seen um, that Renly's got this massive army and unbelievable strength, and you think that surely Renly's got to win this through sheer force of numbers, but it turns out that he's acted fairly brashly in he's um he's ridden ahead with his cavalry unit if you like mm. and he's in in the lords, um and left his large foot soldier unit behind, um, because he wants to get to Storm's End early and finish this as quickly as possible. Yeah, and. Catelyn's uh, wondering here whether that is a a, sh- a particularly useful move. You know, th- there's no rush here, yeah. and um, surely you bring all your force together rather than splitting it and cutting your own supply lines effectively. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it basically means because Renly's come this far now, he's got to he's got to come to battle straight away. Um, Otherwise, he's going to get weaker and weaker as Stannis gets stronger because mm. his his supply lines aren't cut, which maybe explains part of the reason why Renly is far from negotiating. They're almost trying to push Stannis into a fight yeah, straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's just it's stupidity, isn't it? Renly just comes off as so thick in this whole process. Like, I'm going to gallop ahead of myself because I can win in a battle but then I'm going to have to force a battle because then that's the only way I can win the battle and I must win the battle because uh, I want to win the battle just yeah. dumb as shit isn't he well he's, he's the head of an extremely strong force and he's up for a fight isn't he yeah well yeah. and I mean I don't I don't think this is a, a, a massive tactical misstep because I'd still back Renly here um, to, to win overall it looks like he's got far superior force Hmm. And the thing is, the thing in that negotiation, I was thinking, um, Stannis surely sees the size of this army that Renly has and the, the might that he's got behind him. And it doesn't matter whether it's it's really unfair because everybody should be sworn to Stannis. Hmm. Stannis has got to think here, I can't win this, 
So I need to find a way of coming to terms. And he's he's not interested at all. And I'm I'm thinking here, Stannis is digging his own grave here, surely. Because unless unless he's got some kind of super fighting force which um manages to tip the to tip the scales in his favour. Don't forget he's not even got a castle, Stannis here. He's caught between um, Storm's End, which is still loyal to Renly, mm. and Renly's massive army. I just, it just seems. Uh, uh, you said it's, it's it's thick on Renly's part. I think it's madness on Stannis's part. Yeah. I can see why Renly's supremely confident about it. That's a very good point, actually. I hadn't really considered that, but I just sort of because I haven't really followed Stannis's growth of his force, so I don't know whether he's captured other castles along the way or whatever. I just, mm. I just know for certain that Renly hasn't got a supply line, and Stannis has, and that seems to yeah. me to be the most important strategic thing. You know? Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, uh, the only other things really here. Uh, Catelyn wants to leave now. She decides, you know, I've not managed to broker a peace between these two. There's nothing else for me to see here. I'm going to head back. Mm. And Renly says, "No, you can't go. You've got to watch me win, and then you can, then you can bring that tale back to Rob, and mm. that might convince him to join me." Yeah. So she's like, "Right, okay, <laughs> uh, whatever." That's an excellent um, tone of voice for her. Yeah. yeah all right then. <laughs> uh, so, so she. Um, she heads off to to pray before the battle at, at one of the sets. Um, there are a couple of things here. We've said this before about how Renly in the series is is is, is gay and um, he's in this relationship with Sir Loras, mm. and we see it through various scenes. Um, it's just hinted at a few times here. Stannis says something which um, almost you know accuses Renly of of. Uh, kind of uses this against Renly mm. um, in the argument when they're trading insults. He uses it as an insult. Yeah. And um, and here at the end, when Renly sends everyone else away, he says to Loris, uh, laughing, he says, Loris, you stay and help me pray. <laughs> and and again, you can read what, into that what you like. Yeah. But um, do you, I mean, do, do you think Book Renly is in a gay relationship and we just don't see it? There are a couple of moments... There's one where I think in this chapter somebody describes somebody on Stannis' side describes something that Renly's done as a bugger's trick, and mm. that's a very specific kind of language to use in that mm. in that particular circumstance. And then yeah. um, is it in the same one or is it a bit? Is it? I think it's in this this chunk of the book where somebody makes some crack about you know. Um, Renly will never provide an heir to the Baratheon house. Yeah, I think that's what Stannis says actually yeah. in the um, in, in the negotiation. Yeah, so there's those two things together make make me think that you know these are kind of oblique references, and then asking Loras to stay behind, kind of. Mm. Yeah, I mean for me that all adds up to it, but at the same time I've seen the TV series where you see them shagging. So mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not like there's any. It's not really possible for me to go. Nah, hmm. I think it's yeah. definitely implicit. Um, yeah. Although, uh, I mean, I was reading something the other day where George Martin was talking about this distinction, actually, and he was saying that the only way he could make it more blatant is to have them have Renly caught in a gay relationship. And since he's not a point-of-view character, you actually mm. have to have somebody walking in on them. You can't describe it from Renly's perspective. And that would be such an enormous yeah. political problem in this particular context that... Yeah, you know, like it's a good point. So, so I, I think he's supposed to be. Um, although I think mm. you know, not to do it, 
not to not to make him a point of view character because you know because why not um is to kind of lose a bit of his lose a bit of the kind of narrative force that the the series makes a great deal out of because you've got in the series you've got yeah. Loris talking him into war and and him externalizing his whole thought process behind going to war and it's great stuff and the book doesn't have any of that yeah. you just have Renly sort of is at war and it's a bit weird yeah we've said before haven't we that in the book he he, he kind of comes out of nowhere doesn't he Renly yeah. and decides to be king for yeah, and we've no reason to to sort of understand why, mm. because there's been no no we've not really spent any time with him before. Yeah. Um, last chapter for today is Sansa. Mm. Um, she is in a horrible situation in King's Landing now. Yeah. She's basically living in fear day to day. Um, she's no friends at court. All the people who used to be nice to her treat her with contempt now because of the way things have changed politically. Mm. Um, and she's brought before Joffrey in the throne room. Um, for punishment, because Rob has won another victory. We find out, yeah. find out that he um, he's smashed this new Lannister army at Oxcross, a place called Oxcross. Mm. Um, basically, Stafford Lannister, who was there, putting together a second force for the Lannisters, has now been beaten in the field. Mm. Um, so Sansa is effectively stripped and beaten in front of everybody, and and just as just as sort of they're getting warmed up, if you like, um, Tyrion has what may well be his finest hour as he sort of bursts in and says, what's the meaning of this, and, and stops it. Yeah. And it's just one of those moments where you you feel like cheering, don't yeah, you? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Finally, he's done something. I'm pretty much standing on my chair at this point, twirling my shirt around <laughs> my head, cheering him on. Because <laughs> you know that that, that Joffrey is a wrong one, but it's one thing to be like, oh, I don't like him very much, and it's quite another to see him doing something like this. And it's, mm. it's a testament to the quality of the writing that you want to reach into the book, grab him by the lapels and punch him till he stops. And yeah. um, and you can't do that, but behold, the hand of the king. The hand <laughs> of the king punching the king. I love it. Oh, figuratively yeah. speaking. I thought there was something really interesting in this scene where... Um, uh, you see, uh, where there's this whole kind of critique of the the knights' approach, and there are all of mm. these all of these king's guard knights who just stand by, having sworn an oath to protect women, stand by and watch this happen, or make it happen and commit these acts, mm. and it just it just calls absolute shenanigans on the whole idea of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's as we've said before. It's when you make so many oaths, it's which oaths take precedence over other oaths. Yeah, and obviously the king's guard um, have come to the conclusion that their oath to protect and do what the king says um, comes above everything else, which which does, as you say, make a bit of a mockery of the whole concept of being a knight. Yeah. Um, there's a, a great exchange between Tyrion and Joffrey, where um, Tyrion reminds Joffrey. Well, Joffrey basically says. I'm king, I can do what I want. That's what kings... That, that's the whole point of being a king. Mm. And Tyrion says, well, the Mad King did that, and look how he ended up. Yeah. And Boris Blout, the uh, the, the sort of least intimidating member of the King's Guard, um, accuses Tyrion of threatening the king. And Tyrion's response is uh, is to say to Bronn, next time Sir Boris opens his mouth, kill him. <laughs> and then he says, now, now that's a threat. <laughs> that's the Do you see the difference? Which <laughs> is great. It is brilliant, isn't um, it? Did, did you notice it? Yeah. Did, you, did you see the bit where I threatened to have you killed? 
that. <laughs> it it turns out it's an empty threat because Boris actually says something after that. Um, some I don't, don't remember what it is. It's not particularly. Yeah. It's just a bit flustered, uh, and he he still keeps his head on his shoulders, which is lucky for him because I, I think Bron could quite comfortably take Sir Boris in a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although I doubt the other King's Guard would just stand and watch. Yeah. Um, Sansa, it turns out Sansa now, this is the moment where her sort of belief in the in knights and those kind of stories is finally completely over because I think it's the same thing that you've just said she sees all these grand knights just just doing or allowing this kind of behaviour to happen hmm. um, which is and the only person who stands up for her is this you know, this dwarf who she never, you know, all her stories that she's heard, she wouldn't have heard anything about a dwarf acting valiantly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. T- t- Tyrion takes her back to sort of t- to his tower to look after her. Um, and in the end, he lets her go back to her own her own room because she doesn't want to stay there. But on the way back, she, he talks to her about Ox Cross about this battle, and she finds out a bit more about it. Um, and we we hear that you know how Rob managed to. Surprise the uh, su- surprise the Lannisters. Tyrion's a bit, um, I don't know, dismissive of the way that Sir Stefan has actually set up his force for this battle. Mm. It turns out he hadn't even posted sentries or <laughs> done anything like that because he thought he was safe. He didn't expect Rob to to turn up. Yeah. And um, also, look, just a shout out for your boys. Um, Sir Stefan Lannister was killed by Lord Carstark because he was running after a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the tall hearts might be quite nice, but it looks like the cast likes are getting in amongst They're it and actually you know, causing a bit of damage, aren't they? Go on, boys! Yeah. <laughs> so Carstark is Carstark is is taken out Stefan Lannister. <laughs> um, the other, the, the last thing in this chapter is Tyrion um, comforts Sansa by saying that he has no intention of marrying Sansa to Joffrey anymore. Oh, that's uh, quite a dramatic that, that, moment. That married yeah, that marriage isn't going to happen because the damage that's been done between the Starks and the Lannisters now is never going to be fixed, even with this marriage. Yeah. So there's no point to it, and it's a cruel match for for Sansa. So he's he's not going to do it. Basically, it's got to be news to Cersei. Um, but I think Sansa, I'd imagine, is immensely relieved at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is quite a turnaround, isn't it? Yeah, from being stripped and humiliated in front of the entire court to being told, "Look, you're not going to marry him." That would be madness. Um, well, I, I, I think it's quite a turnaround from her reaction. If you remember the sort of this point in the last book, where she was desperate to marry this guy, and now it's just absolute relief that she's not going to have yeah, to. Yeah, it's great. Um, uh, it was sorry. Yeah, it was great naivety on her part before, wasn't it? And this time it's just sort of the kind of painful dawning of understanding of just like mm. it would be such a bad thing to be married to Joffrey and she sees it now. Um and it's just it's another interesting example actually, isn't it, of how like the thing that drives the plot totally changes between book to book, even though you're talking about the same people. You know, in the first mm. book, it's about will anybody find out that Joffrey's a bastard and that's already happened and it doesn't really matter. And, you know, Sansa is doing all of these things because she already wants to marry Joffrey and now she's doing all these things because she desperately doesn't want to marry Joffrey. And um, yeah. everything changes. Okay. That brings us to the end of, of this this part for today. Mm. We've done some fairly big chunks in the last few weeks and the next one you'll be uh, 
I don't know, maybe you'll be delighted to hear, is a bit shorter. Um, you can take a more leisurely pace this week as we read The Ghost of Heron Hall. That's the what the chapter's, what the part's called. And uh, it's from page 450, which is the next chapter, which a, Kate, a Catelyn one, which begins, It was full dark before they came upon the village. And you're reading as far as 503, so only about 50 pages, and that is another chapter about Catelyn, and it begins, Two Days Ride from River Run. Ooh. Ooh, so it's going to be it's going to be Catelyn heavy, it seems. Yeah, right. Next one, and she's on. And the hopefully, move. we'll get some. Well, hopefully, we we'll get some resolution in this big battle. Yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm that. I'm expecting a battle. Yes. <laughs> self-important yes. brother against self-important brother. It's a classic. Yeah, only one can walk away with his self-importance intact. <laughs> Actually, that's quite a positive view on it, isn't it? Great. I'm going to see at least one <laughs> utterly self-important twat get their comeuppance in the next 50 pages. Come on! <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the only other thing to say today, look, if you want to get in touch and let us know what you think about the book or about the podcast, well, it's the usual address. It's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter. We are at sharkliveroil. There we go. And Dave, that is it for this week. That's it. Happy reading for next time. I'm looking forward to it. 50 pages. going to be a it's walk the, in the park. The, it's the ghost of Heron Hall. It's a bit strange that it's that this next bit is called the ghost of Heron Hall when... Well, you, you'd expect, actually, that we'd, we'd hear some more about Aya... Um, choosing people to die because yeah. she is effectively the ghost of Harrenhal now, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we will see. It's, they're, they're great we titles in this bit, aren't they? We've got the what? What is it? The City of Bones, Garden of Bones. Sorry, yes, the Garden of Bones <laughs> and the Ghost of Harrenhal and things yeah. like that. Do you want to hear some more names? Yeah, yeah. Go on, hit me up. They're not as good, actually. The Old Gods and the New, yeah. A Man Without Honor, The Prince of Winterfell. Blackwater Ugh. and and the last one, the last one's good, Vala Magulus. <laughs> okay, all right, that was a pretty disappointing run. Oh, kind of vaguely dramatic sounding. Garden Nowhere near Bones. Garden of Bones and the Ghost of Harren <laughs> Hall, though. But I do quite like the sound of Vala Magulus. <laughs> okay, until next time, then. Dave. Later, Matt. Vala Magulus. <laughs> Bosh.